You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, today we're beginning our series called Talking to Jesus, Talking to Jesus. Uh, and actually our kids are also doing a series called Talking to Jesus. Pastor Jacob still is convinced I stole his series title. Uh, and maybe that's true, no, uh, but today we're talking about this, and I, and I want to begin in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, where we get this, the, the sermon title is, Teach Us to Pray, and I, I am going to teach a little bit more today. Uh, I'll do some preaching, but also some teaching really to, to walk you through and help equip you in what I believe is one of the most, if you get this thing in your life, in your faith, in your walk with God, it'll change everything. It's foundational. It's fundamental. It's, it's, it's essential. It's one of those things that I believe most Christians know we should do, but many people find themselves or at least feeling like they don't do enough of or don't know how to do it. And so I wanna give you some real practical things and we're gonna use God's word as a foundation to understand the power and effectiveness of prayer. Uh, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, it says in verse one. And when he finished, one of his disciples came and said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus' followers, his closest disciples, initially were all Jewish. And as Jews raised in uh, the worship of Jehovah, the living God, and in Jerusalem and Israel, they were familiar with the practice of prayer. They grew up from a young age learning about prayer, watching prayer, seeing prayer, and yet there's something in the lives of these men that they, they, they see Jesus and the way he prays, and they ask this question, can you teach us too? Can you teach us to pray? Jesus did incredible miracles. He raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He did all those things. He taught the greatest messages that human ears have ever heard. And yet the disciples don't ask him, can you teach us to preach? Can you teach us how to, you know, Peter was married. We know he was married because he had a mother-in-law. <laughs> Package deal. And, uh, and, 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 and Jesus healed his mother-in-law and, and Peter didn't come to him and say, Jesus, can you teach me how to be a successful husband? And the Bible actually has a lot to say about all of the above how to build our life, how to build our marriages, how to raise our kids, how to be, uh, have integrity in the way we conduct business and, and, and honor God and be blessed by God. There's, there's principles across the word that deal with all of those, but what the disciples asked him, I believe, is fundamental. If we get this, it'll affect all of those things. So can you teach us to pray? Because there's something different, Jesus, when you pray and how you pray and what you do. There's life in it. See, religion has the activity of prayer, but no expectation that prayer will be really answered. We, we, we lift up the practice of prayer, the discipline of prayer, without an expectation that things will actually change. And, and let me just say why prayer matters. Here's, here's the first thing that we need to understand about prayer. Prayer matters because the Bible says in James chapter four, verse eight, that when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. Prayer is not a religious ritual, it's the act of drawing near to God. And it's, it's magnetic. The moment you draw near to God, the moment you take a step in his direction, the Bible says heaven can't wait. God draws near to you. That's amazing. 
That's an incredible promise that God never desired distance, that God always wants to be close. And, and just like we have human relationships that require communication, it's no different in our relationship with God. Prayer is the act of drawing near to God. How many of you are married and found out communication is important? Like there's more to marriage than, man, they look good in skinny jeans. <laughs> Come on. Like there's a little bit more to that. There's, there's, there's communication that's needed and then you start communicating and you find out, oh, we're different. And we don't always agree. And we need to work through and build our relationship and that continually requires constant communication and, and, and there's different ways we communicate. And we know that's important in a natural sense and in our relationships, at least we should, but it's also true in our relationship with God because God is not an abstract idea, a philosophy, an image, or an idol. God is the living God and he's a person who desires relationship. And when you draw near to God, it's amazing that that God who forms the heavens and the earth, we know at least in the visible universe, there's something like three trillion galaxies. There's probably tons more beyond what we can see. And yet the Bible says that God measures all of that in the span of his hand. That God who breathed and creation came into existence, that God draws near to you and me. That's incredible. God doesn't want to be distant. He wants to be close. He's not a million miles away. He's closer than your next breath. And here's what prayer does. It not only draws us near to God, but it actually produces results. James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. There's effectiveness in prayer. There's results in prayer. It changes things. It produces results. I like to say it like this. Prayer is a few things. It's an invitation. It's an invitation for the God of the universe to step into my situation, my life, my world. Let me tell you about the first prayer I ever learned. First prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. Come on, you know that prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, what, how does it go? Pray the Lord, my soul to keep. And if I should die. How many kids were terrified at night because of that prayer? <laughs> but prayer is an invitation for that amazing, infinite, powerful, loving God to step into my situation and into my life and into my, not just my church life, not just on Sunday mornings, not just when we gather to worship, but every single day, God wants to fill my life, fill my family, fill my workplace, fill every place that concerns my life. And it happens through the invitation of prayer. Prayer is an invitation from us to God and God to us. Prayer is a conversation it, it involves communication that, that, that we express our heart to God and God expresses his heart to us, teaches us through his word, leads us by the Holy Spirit. God communicates and he desires communication with you. Prayer is also a habitation. What's a habitation? It means that, have you ever had somebody in your life that stayed at your house a little too long? Don't point at them. <laughs> My father-in-law first service said amen because I stayed with him for a month one time <laughs> when we first moved here. And uh, prayer is a habitation because it's actually meant to create a space in our life where we invite God to dwell. Jesus said it like this, abide in me and let my words abide in you. Like, like make, my, make your home in me so that I can make my home in you. 
That's what a habitation is. It's also, and this is one that I think a lot of people don't recognize, prayer is also a confrontation with the enemy. I'm gonna spend a whole day on just that, being battle ready and, and knowing how prayer is not just defensive, God help me, but it's offensive. Let's destroy the works of the enemy. And the reason why I think people don't recognize Paul, prayer is meant to be confrontational is because they don't recognize that we're at war. When you were put in a relationship with God, when we were saved, when you were born again and brought into his kingdom, which I described last week, you were brought out of one kingdom and put into another. And when you were put into this kingdom, the other kingdom goes, I'm gonna fight you. And we're gonna go to war. And, and we think of the Christian life as living on a cruise ship, buffet all the time. But, but you're on a battleship and the war is over your family and the war is over your kids and the war is over your identity and it's over your future. The war is over our, uh, the, the condition of our nation and the nations of the world. Prayer is confrontation. I think the reason why people don't think like that is because they think, well, everything that happens is automatically the will of God. But here's how Jesus, and we'll go to the Lord's Prayer at the very end, but I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a sneak peek. You know the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, here's how you should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As long as there's things on earth that don't look like heaven, there's a conflict. And God's means by which he establishes his will in my life and in the world around me, one of the primary ones is through prayer. We'll talk about that more later in the series. Proverbs 15, eight, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the righteous or the upright is his delight. Listen to that. God doesn't just love you, he likes you. You ever like have to love somebody, but you don't really like being around them? Why are you, like you guys, yeah, you, right, you know what I'm talking about. First service, they're like, no, I like everybody. <laughs> Brian, you're not spiritual. <laughs> Verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And some of us would go, well, that's not me. But here's what a relationship with Jesus does. It takes us from the distance that sin created, my sin and your sin created, and it brought us close to God through Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus, and we were made right with God. So that's, he's made us in right relationship, and God hears your prayer on the basis of what Jesus has done. He hears the prayer. He hears your prayers. So what do I pray about? If God hears my prayer, and prayer invites God, and it's a place to create a space for God to dwell in my life, what should I pray about? Well, let me just give you a very simple one. Philippians 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. Philippians 4, 6, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, supplication, excuse me, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. I think sometimes the reason we're anxious about some things is we haven't prayed about them. So what should I pray about? Everything. The big stuff. What's the big stuff? Well, well God cares about the world. God cares about the nations. God cares about the lost. If you've ever had one of your kids missing in a store and you're looking for them and you're scrambling, we need to find, we need to find them, you're looking everywhere and maybe you've got other kids and they come up and they're like, hey, what's for lunch today? You're like, well, that's, that would be a good question in another context. But right now we're looking for what's lost. That gives us some picture of what God's, what's on God's heart because God cares about all the little stuff. He cares about everything concerning my life, but his focus is on what's lost. 
And so God cares about those things and we need to be praying about those things, but he also does pray, he also wants us to pray about anything that we're anxious about. Be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. So if it concerns you, you can go to God about it. Pray about everything. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this, know that there is power through prayer. Know that there is power through prayer. Why is that important? Because I do think that religion reduces our prayer, even the Lord's Prayer, as an example. We reduce it to something that just has repetition, but there's no faith connected to it. And I'm gonna spend more time talking about that in, uh, next week. But, but there's something that happens when we disconnect faith. So, so last Easter, we were at the North Iowa Event Center for our services, and one service, we combined everybody together. It was awesome, it was a lot of fun. But in the setup leading up to it, uh, our team spent a couple days, and my job, because I can't sing or play on the team, the band, um, my job was I'm going to get everything set up. So I'm going to hook up the lights, and you know, when I was a youth pastor and I learned to do all that stuff, I'm like, I'm going to set all that up. So I'm getting it all ready, and we've got everything set the way it should be, except there's one problem. Nothing's working. And I, I'm not kidding, it's no exaggeration to say I spent hours trying to diagnose the issue. I'm trying to figure out why they're not getting enough power. And, and sometimes they would kick on and this would flicker on and off, but nothing was working the way it was supposed to. And, and finally, I got to the point where I just threw my hands up and said, it's gonna be what it is. <laughs> Jesus is risen, so there you go. Uh, and, and so the next day, though, our team comes in and, and, and thank I am so thankful for Pastor Leslie because Pastor Leslie comes in and thinks of something I didn't think of. Because while I spent hours looking, I didn't happen to check if everything was plugged in. <laughs> and she saw one cord that wasn't plugged in and sent a picture to me. Jason said, hey, is this, do you think this is it? I'm like, that would be the problem. <laughs> there was a disconnect. And everything should have been working, but it wasn't because it wasn't connected to the power source. Prayer is what connects your faith, your life to the source. And I could go, everything should be working. My marriage should be working, my relationships, my job, my all these things should be working. I should be growing, I should be moving forward in life, I should be not dealing with these problems that I used to deal with. And yet when we go back to it, oftentimes we find that there's something disconnected that should be. And that's what prayer does. It reconnects us to the power source. The reason there's power in prayer is not just because prayer as a discipline itself is enough, but it's that it connects us to God. It's not based on your ability to pray eloquently, but it is based on God's faithfulness and his ability to answer. Well, I don't pray because I just don't, I don't know the right words. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know, you know, we think, well, to be spiritual, I gotta pray in King James. Thou art verily God. And I've got to say it spiritually enough that God hears me, but here's the thing. God doesn't need us to, to try to use somebody else's words. In fact, there was a woman who came to Jesus one time, and she comes up to him. She's a Gentile woman outside of the house of Israel in a time when Jesus first was going to the Jew. Before the gospel go to the Gentiles, the, the gospel had to be first brought to the Jews only, to the house of Israel. And so Jesus is there as the Messiah and he's bringing the gospel to, to the, he's bringing the, the good news to, to the house of Israel. And while he's there, this Gentile woman comes and she says, my daughter is greatly afflicted. She's tormented, she's demon possessed, but she uses this language. She says, son of David, have mercy on me. And the reason why that, most of us would read that and not 
under, not see the significance of it, but she's not a Jew using Jewish terminology. What's the point? She's using somebody else's prayer life, somebody else's words, somebody else's terminology. Well, if I just use this phrase, I'll get those results. If I pray like them and I sound like them, and, I, and listen, there's nothing wrong with reading a prayer and praying, but, but, but what happens is there's sometimes a disconnect between our head and our heart. And there's not faith involved in it. And, and, and there's this, and this, this story is pretty interesting because Jesus almost, I mean, he completely ignores her. And we think, man, that's so mean, Jesus. Why would you do that? He says he answered her not a word. And she starts bugging the disciples. <laughs> and the disciples come to Jesus. Jesus, you gotta do something about this lady. Can you please send her away? And Jesus says, I was only sent to the house of Israel. I've got a focus. I've got a priority that happens, has to happen first. And and the woman comes again to him, and, and Jesus says something that, man, let's just be honest, it sounds very rude. He tells the woman, he says, the children's bread shouldn't be given to dogs, meaning Gentiles. And you think, man, Jesus, were you hangry today? Like, what, what in the world? But you know, God is less concerned about offending your mind if he can reach your heart. And the woman drops the phraseology. She drops the, somebody else's borrowed phrase and then she cries out and she says, yes, that's true, but even dogs eat the crumbs from the table. And watch what Jesus says. You've got great faith. I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. Great faith, woman, your faith has brought this request. And it says her daughter was healed that very hour. And if we misread that, we'll think it's about Jesus being unkind, but God's never unkind. But he's not concerned with offending our religious ideas and our religious institutions and even the, the culture itself that's tried to say who God is without the word. And sometimes God will cut through all of the stuff, all of the facade, all of the lingo we think makes a difference, and he cuts through all of that to get right to the heart. Because at the end of the day, it's not about how many words you can say, it's not about how well you can say it, but can you be real with God? Sincere faith comes from your heart. When the early church prayed, Acts 4.31, when they prayed, the place they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What was the catalyst for all three of these things? Things were shaken. They were filled. And they spoke boldly. I preached on that first Wednesday. What was the catalyst? They prayed. When you pray, things change. When you pray, you're connecting to the power source and you're inviting God to step into your situation. When there's more prayer, there's more power. When there's less prayer, there's less power. And prayer is what connects us. I, I was traveling a couple weeks ago and on my phone, uh, when, when you get on a flight, they tell you now, you know, turn your, put all your devices into airplane mode. And when you put your phone into airplane mode, it disconnects you from the cell data. And, and you're no longer sending or receiving. And when we stop praying, it's like putting our life on airplane mode. And, and, and we're, not, we're not sending anything to God and we're not receiving anything. And we go, well, God, you just don't want to do it. But then the moment comes when we begin to actually turn and say, God, I'm going to create a space in my life. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you. And you know what happens? It's like turning on airplane mode. When I get off the flight, all the messages, it's like my phone lit up like a Christmas tree. 
Have you ever had that? Like you've had a, a, a season of your life where you weren't pursuing God, you weren't in his word, you weren't praying, and all of a sudden, the moment you began to draw near to God, it was like heaven flooded in. It's because God was trying to speak to you all along. God was trying to bless you all along. God was trying to pour into you all along. And the moment you went off airplane mode, the moment you reconnected, you reestablished a connection with God, all of heaven began to pour in. In fact, that's number two, is establish a place in your life for prayer. I'd say that as a general principle, but also a practical thing that you actually have a space in your life, in your household if possible, in your environment where you can be alone with God. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, 6, but when you, when you pray, go into your room and when you shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So he says, here's the power to prayer is that it starts in the secret place. If, if my faith is only on Instagram, if my faith is only in public, there isn't a root system below the surface to keep me strong in difficult seasons. When my character is tested and when the battle is on and when things aren't going the way I expect, but when I've been alone with God and I've gotten to know his heart and who he is and I've spent time with him, the Bible says what we cry out for in secret, God can reward openly. If you'll make history with God, alone with God, God will make history through you. We pray in secret. And that's practical. Like there's times in my life I could show you house after house or home after home we've lived in, apartments we lived in. When our kids were little, uh, we lived in a, a small apartment and man, there wasn't a quiet space in that apartment. We had two boys and we thought it was loud until my daughter came, like, but when we, were, we had the two boys, they were little, and man, they were, they were loud, and it was, it was always, you know, something going on in the house, and, and to get alone with God sometimes meant we had to go take a walk. Thank God for walks. Get alone with Jesus. When I've worked early shifts, I've, I've, I've made it intentionally, as tired as I'd be, to get up just a little bit earlier, go sit in my car, drink some coffee, try to wake up, but seek the face of God. Take time to be alone with God. I can show you places if I could take you there where God answered a prayer or God spoke to my heart or God restored my hope or God caused me to dream again when I thought I was giving up. It's because I had a place that I could go to and spend time with God. In fact, I also have had a time where I could go. The Bible usually encourages to seek him at night or seek him in the morning. You, you can pray all day. But here's why it's important to have that space because when you see God first or you end your day with God, you're setting your heart on what matters. You're filling your heart and your attention with things that matter for eternity and you're creating a space for God to speak to you. Jesus did that in Mark 135, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Jesus was busy, but he was never rushed. <laughs> He had a lot to do. Martin Luther said it like this, I've got so much to do today, I'm gonna to spend the first three hours in prayer. That sounds like a contradiction. What do you mean? You're so busy, you have to pray. Usually I think, I'm too busy to pray. But when you find out that when you see God first and you pray, you're inviting God into that situation and he gives you grace for everything else. 
What if God, you know, I, I've, I've tried it without God, and usually by the end of the day, I'm exhausted, and it didn't work anyway. <laughs> but when I pray, I have grace to face the day, grace for my family, grace for my job, grace for my environment, grace for whatever he's created me to do. Okay, Matthew 18, do we only stay alone? No, we are to gather together in prayer because we need each other. As the old expression says, the banana that leaves the bunch gets eaten. Come on, somebody. Matthew 18, 19, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, I don't know why God said two. I think he just lowered the threshold because he can't get more than two people to agree on anything. Okay, but if I can get two of you to agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. That's the habitation. God says, I'm gonna be personally with them. And after he says that, that you should agree in prayer and that you should gather, then Peter, verse 21, look at this. Then Peter came and said, but Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? I don't think it's an accident that that conversation happened right after Jesus said, gather. Oh, with that guy? Well, let me tell you what he did. Jesus. Agree with them? Agree with her? Are you kidding me? And then Peter says, well, well, how many times? I'll be generous. Seven times, Jesus? Look how spiritual I am, Jesus. Seven times. I'll forgive him seven times. Then I'm done with him. It's over. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. In other words, multiply the forgiveness you've been given. Multiply it. <laughs> so Mark eleven twenty five. similar conversation. Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, if you have, it's gonna get quiet, anything against anyone. I, I, I don't have much, I just have something against someone. He says, if you have anything against anyone. Told you to be quiet, Genesee. Right. <laughs> Forgive him. Your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. I believe unforgiveness is what's short-circuiting the prayer life of God's people. It's, it's what's short-circuiting your faith and your prayer life. We've actually seen in this church people who the moment they began to forgive somebody, they were healed. They experienced the very thing they were crying out to God for, but there was a short circuit in that power I described because of unforgiveness. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they hurt, hurt me. You don't know what they said about me. Forgiving doesn't justify what they did. God didn't justify my sin when he forgave me. He released me from it. He set me free from it. And when you forgive somebody, holding on to unforgiveness has been described like this. It's like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. <laughs> holding on to it instead of Forgiving, releasing, why? Because it's not worth carrying that bitterness, that burden any longer. Some people, I, I, listen, I've been pastoring a long time. I think it'll be 19 years this year. I've been pastoring long enough to see a lot of people are still holding on to stuff with people they'll never see again, people who are long since gone. They're still held and trapped by something they should have released a long time ago. But here's what I know. I can't forgive God without God's help. That's why when I pray, I go to God. The next one is we make prayer a priority. Prayer needs to be a priority. I believe our priorities in our life reflect what we value most. When I establish priorities in my family, my kids see what really matters. 
Do you know, it's not the things that we say are a priority that are, it's the things we model. We will desire whatever world we're preoccupied with. Whatever world we're most invested in. And our prayer life reflects, I believe, how much we know we need God. That's why Martin Luther would say that. Well, I I know I need God's help, so I'm gonna spend the first three hours praying. I need God's help with my day. I need God's help with my challenges, with the difficulties in front of me, with the good things, the tough things. I need God's help. I need his grace. So we establish a priority of prayer to put first things first. Lastly, we develop a pattern of prayer. Develop a pattern of prayer. I thought you said it's not supposed to be a ritual. It's not. But there is a pattern. What's a pattern? Well, a pattern is something that's a habit in your life. It's a regular part of your life. So so when I was a kid, I loved mechanical pencils in school. I don't know why. I didn't like number two pencils. I loved mechanical pencils. I know the lead breaks super easy, but there was just something about it. I felt like, man, I have got an upgrade with this mechanical pencil. And one day, the kid I was sitting next to, desk next, next to me, broke my mechanical pencil. And I noticed something, that he had this unconscious habit that if there was a pen cap on his desk, he would take the little, you know, on the, like a Bic pen, how there's the little, uh, little thing sticking out and it helps you like stick it on your shirt pocket or wherever you'd put a pen, I don't know, where you hang it. So he'd break that part off. He just was unconscious. He wasn't even aware of it. Like I watched him. It was like a scientific experiment in my third grade class. This kid did not even, had no conscious awareness that he would pick up something and snap, there goes the pen cap. And so I thought, I'm gonna try this again. And so I took my next pencil and I set it on the edge of my desk. It was on my desk. I just set it there. And I watched him while he's waiting for the teacher. Something's happening. He grabs the pencil, slides it over, snap. Now I'm mad at the kid. You know, it's my fault. I shouldn't have put the pencil there. There's unconscious habits we do. They're like muscle memory, like for him. He, he just did that without even thinking about it. How many habits and patterns in our life happen without even thinking about it? I want my life to change. Change your patterns. I want things to be different. Change your patterns. It starts with what you believe. That's why the Bible, first and foremost, deals with what we believe, what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves and the world around us. Starts with that. Because what you believe affects what you do. And what you do consistently becomes your habits. And your habits develop your character and that changes your life, directs your life. Why does this matter? Because patterns establish who we become. When you're born, you look like your parents. When you die, you look like your decisions. You look like the patterns that have been established. And I know we start the year, it's New Year's resolutions. We're gonna, I'm gonna eat better. I'm gonna, then ice cream came along. I'm gonna, <laughs> church had to do that for its anniversary. I, you know, and there's pizza and all that. So, so we're, we have good intentions, but we never rise to the level of our intentions. We fall to the level of our patterns. That's why our patterns are so important. Here's a pattern concerning prayer. First Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. My wife and I text 
all the time, every day. There's only one person in the world that can get a hold of me at any time, and it's her. And, and, uh, but we'll, we'll text throughout the day, and I'll get messages. And, you know, she, sometimes she'll send me, you know, hey, where are you going? What are you doing? Here's what I'm doing. I'm going to go for a walk. And sometimes she'll send me a picture of the dog for some reason. I don't know why she sends it to me. Uh, you know, I love her, and she loves the dog, so she sends me dog pictures. Um, and uh, so, and then, you know, I'll just... Hey, I'm thinking about you. I'll send her text. Love you. You know, just we correspond throughout the day. So, so there's time and space in our lives. We have coffee just about every morning. We'll sit down and have deeper conversations. Sometimes deeper conversations than the coffee is kicked in and I'm ready for it. But, and the guy's in here, come on. No, no, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's space for that, but there's also continual conversation. And God wants both. God wants the secret place, but he also wants us to be in constant communication. What does that look like in prayer? It looks like before I go to work, I can say, hey, God, I need your help today. God, would you help me with this? I need wisdom about this situation. What do I do? And you just quickly pray about it. When you've established a secret place, that other stuff is an overflow of that, and you become aware of the fact that God's with you everywhere you go. Pray continually. When you go into a meeting, you ask God for his wisdom. When you leave the meeting, God, thank you that you helped me. And, and there's just a constant recognition that God's with you and it's an ongoing conversation. Can I just tell you, the more you pray, the more it'll become personal and real for you. Your patterns matter. Let me give you a pattern from the Bible. Matthew 6, 9, here's the Lord's Prayer. I told you we'd go there. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray, this is what he gave them. And, and Sadly, religions reduce the Lord's Prayer like anything religion touches to something we just recite, but there's no faith involved in it. But here's what it starts with, our Father in heaven. Here's the manner in which you should pray. Does that mean we, can pray, we should only pray these specific words? No, this is a framework for prayer. The Lord's Prayer is powerful. In fact, it's called the Lord's Prayer because Jesus gave it, but it's actually the prayer of the disciples because it's the prayer Jesus said they should pray. And so he tells them this, and it starts with this relationship. We connect with God relationally, our Father who is in heaven. Your relationship with God, the reason many people I found don't pray is because we're afraid to draw near to God. Our shame, our fear, we think God is like out to get us, and we, we think he's just waiting with a club behind his back ready to take us out any moment. So the, instead of what the Bible says about God, that in him there is no darkness or shadow of turning. And he wants to draw near to you more than you even want God. And when we connect to God relationally, Jesus could have used any other term. He said, here's how you connect to God, our Father. Well, it's hard for me to do that because my relationship with my family was bad or my relationship with my friends is, is, is difficult. My, my relationship with those that are authority figures in my life was difficult. No, no, listen, don't put on God what people have done to you. And I know people who have a hard time trusting God because they've been hurt by pastors, been hurt by parents, been hurt by other Christians. Jesus says, here's how you start in prayer, relationship. You go to God as a perfect father who's perfectly and always good, who always has your best interests in heart. A perfect father doesn't give me everything I want all the time. He gives me everything I need. 
exactly how and when I need it, that he's always good. And, and so he starts there, connecting with God relationally, and then he goes into worship. He says, say this, holy is your name, hallowed be your name. Worship is a recognition of the worth of God. If God did not one more thing for me, he's always worthy of my worship because of who he is. Worship is a response to God. I've told you this many times, but, but worship is something that every human being alive on planet earth is already doing. The issue isn't if we worship, it's what and who we worship. It's where we direct our affections. It's where we direct our attention. And when we begin with worship, I've found my prayer life over the years has been less requests and more worship. Not because requests are bad, not because asking God is bad, but when I've recognized first I start with worship, man, even before the situations change, I've changed. Even when I came in hopeless, I, I left full because of his presence and who he is. The next thing is he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means that we're to pray God's agenda first. Before I even approach my own needs, I start with what's on the heart of God. What's the focus of heaven? Your kingdom come. I'm inviting God's will to be done in my life and in this place and in my environment, in our nation, in our city. What do we pray for as a church? That God's will is done in North Iowa as it is in heaven. Well, what does heaven look like? Is there, is, is there fear? Is there addiction? Is there shame? is their bitterness. When we look at things in the world today, I mean, there's now more of an awareness, thankfully, that children are, are, are being mistreated and trafficked, and now people are more aware of it. It's been happening for a long time. I've heard some statistics to say more people today are, are, are bound in some kind of form of slavery statistically because of the population, because of the way they're being trafficked all over the world. I, I was in Arizona and it happened there. In Phoenix, it happens everywhere. And, and we can look at that and, and not recognize that that is not God's will. Something needs to be done about it. God's people need to pray about it. There needs to be action behind our prayer. But here's what I want you to understand. When we see that something on planet earth does not look like the will of God as it is in heaven, we go into offensive prayer. But you know, for that to change out there, it's gotta start right here. Your will be done in my life. That's surrender. Saying, God, I want your will done in my life, my family. Have you ever gone to God and said, God, can you do something about my boss today? Can you, can you do something? Can you, can you tell my wife I'm right? Can you tell my spouse I'm right? None of you have ever prayed that. I had this years ago. Uh, Jen and I are, are in an early, we're, we're maybe less than six months, newly married, and we're arguing in the car on the way to church. I know you can't imagine uh, any pastors ever doing that. Um, we're, and it had to do with, I think my, the shirt I had, I, I didn't, well, I didn't even see if this is ironed enough. Um, my shirt wasn't ironed properly. I didn't iron it. And she goes, that, that looks, you should have, why didn't you check your you know, shirt before you left house? And, and I'm like, nobody's going to notice. And, and we get into it, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is like, nobody cares. Nobody's going to pay attention to this. And I knew God heard my wife and he was going to prove her right. And I learned that lesson early on. It's really bad when God and your wife are on the same side. And, and I show up to church, here's how I know, because the very first person we saw in the parking lot of church said, you know, there's this like stick thing that can get wrinkles out. 
Thank you. Um, next thing we do is we depend on him for everything. Give us this day our daily bread. Every day God has what you need for today. Depend on him for everything, the big stuff, the small stuff. Give us this day our daily bread. Jason, if you and the team want to come up. We forgive. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We let, I've already told you what happens when we release the burden, when we forgive other people, when we give them to God. But I need God's help to forgive. Do you know what happens when I pray? When you pray things like, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. It's, it's an amazing prayer, but it also can be a little scary. But here's why. My, my, my wife taught me this prayer, and she's taught our church this. And I had somebody at first service that said, man, that's, that's one of the, I've never heard that before. This is, this is what that prayer can look like. God, help me, believe, help, me, help me to see the lies that I'm believing. Because when we come to God, sometimes we come with our agenda and our plan and our ways and our justifications, why it's okay, we're holding on to that. And, and, but what if we say, God, help me to see the lies that I'm believing. And we invite God's will to be done. And many times it's gonna look like not only receiving forgiveness for us, but it's gonna look like forgiving other people. If you're still carrying around shame, you haven't fully believed and received the forgiveness that Jesus paid a full price for. If you're still holding on to hurt and offense and all those things, listen. We give what we've been given. We forgive because we've been forgiven. When we come to God and say, God, search me. David wrote that in the Psalms. He says, search me and see if there's any wicked way in me. That's a scary prayer, but I'll tell you what, it's one of the most powerful prayers you will ever pray because you're inviting God to, to, to dig through. Does anybody have a drawer in your kitchen that's the junk drawer? Most of us have one. It's the weirdest thing. I've had this junk drawer in every house. I still don't know what's in it. I literally, a couple moves, I had a couple moves. I'm just gonna, confession time. I had a couple moves where I'm like, I don't even wanna dig through this. So I put it in a box and put that box back into the next junk drawer. And you know what? Our souls collect junk too. And we go, I'm not touching that. I'm not dealing with that. Oh God, you wanna deal with that? I don't know if we can deal with that. But you know what I can tell you is that God sees it already. He sees it all, the good, the bad, the ugly. The, the God who sees it all already loves you more than anybody else ever will. So you can trust him. Because it's the thing that we're hiding that's actually holding us back. The last two is we engage in warfare. What does he say? Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're gonna spend more time on that in a couple weeks. Engaging in warfare. Fighting for your family. Do you know prayer holds the keys to setting your family free. Prayer holds the keys. If the church would stop pointing fingers at the world and start bending its knee, we would see a lot more things change, I'm telling you. The last one, yours is the kingdom. The power, the glory forever. We express our faith in God's ability. God, I trust you. I believe there's nothing impossible for you. Yours is the power. Yours is the kingdom. Is there something in your life right now that you say, I don't have the power to deal with, but God does? God, I need you. My faith is in you. My trust is in you. 
there was a man named blind Bartimaeus. He's actually named Bartimaeus. People call him blind Bartimaeus. He cries out to Jesus one day, Jesus is walking by. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. He cries out. As Jesus is walking by, the crowd around him says, be quiet. There's always gonna be a voice in your life telling you to stop praying, telling you you can't pray. You, who do you think you are? with what you've done to go to God. It's always gonna be a voice trying to silence you because the enemy knows how dangerous your prayers are. Be silent, but it says he cried out all the more. You've just gotta get desperate enough in a good way to say, I can't, I can't stay where I'm at in my life any longer. I can't walk through the same things any longer. I need God's help. I need to invite heaven to invade. I need God's grace, God's wisdom, God's power to be at work in my life and I need him now. And he cried out and Jesus stopped and he said, bring that man to me. And the same people who told him to be quiet said, the master's calling you. And they bring Jesus, they bring this man to Jesus. Jesus asked him a question, what do you want me to do for you? Well, it should be obvious, the man who was blind, who had to be led by the hand to direct him to Jesus, Jesus asked him what to us seems like an obvious question, but we have not because we ask not. He says, that I might receive my sight, Lord. And that man was healed that very hour. Jesus healed him. He set him free. What if he had listened to the voices that told him he couldn't cry out to Jesus? You can't talk to Jesus. You can't cry out to him. It's time for those voices to be silenced. It's for us, time for us to cry out all the more for our lives, our families, our future. Would you stand to your feet? We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.